what if somebody actually had a Bob Ross portrait airbrushed on the hood of their NASCAR vehicle oh. with happy trees all around the face? Boom. Dude, Bob. I would I would watch NASCAR every day if somebody <laughs> had a Bob Ross Just a route for the Bob Ross car? Dude, the Bob Ross car. Twitch, the live streaming video game company that we talked about before, mm-hmm. bought the rights to do a lot of Bob Ross to, for broadcast. And they broadcast a live streamed channel that was Bob Ross Marathon. And people got super duper into it. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was like Bob Ross was like an internet, you know, live streaming phenomenon for <laughs> for a good period of time a while back. Well, and that makes yeah. sense because, like, what's not to like? He's a person who most of those, I mean, people who use Twitch are younger than we are. Um, yeah, they probably, so, many of them have been reporting, like, I had no idea who this person was. Right. Never or, heard or of they, them they, ever. they just knew about him as sort of a like a lingering meme from older people, right. you know, but the show yeah. was great, you know, just a super friendly guy teaching you how to paint basic, simple landscaping, you know, it was mellow. You could put on a Bob Ross episode in the background trying to go to sleep or yeah. something. Did you ever he try had that to paint smooth voice with Bob and... Ross? That was like the point of the show is that you'd like do it along with him. And I mm-hmm. always watched the show and I was like, I should like do, I should go get some paint. I should get some paint. Yeah. <laughs> and try this out and I never did. Oh, and you made it look Brendan so wide. easy. Oh, what? dude, it's because if I if I did it, especially the first time you did it, you would just look at his like beautiful painting and then look at yours and be like, "Wow, oh god." <laughs> I would look at mine and Ugh. say, "I could sell this as Picasso's." <laughs> <laughs> Back, ladies and gentlemen, and it's good to be back. So, um, hey, Chuck. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. How's it going, Matt? Oh, it's going good. Yeah, it's going good, good man. It's it's nice to have you uh, have you back in Flannel Nation. Well, yeah. Thank you, first of all, for uh, taking on the host duties last week. That was a great episode, and uh, having Glessman on our buddy Nick. That was great to see or to listen to the. To listen to you guys all have a good time there so sure um and get your takes on um get out of course you know i've got some opinions on that as well that we can kind of go into in a little bit here but yeah we try to hold down the four for you but yeah it's not the same without you man you know it's not the same but that's good because that means that i can never leave yeah <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's job security <laughs> that's right that's right it'll be just flannel without me or something so I'll take my liquid elsewhere. Are you, are you the liquid? The liquid in yeah. the liquid flannel? I guess I am, because I only have one flannel. How many flannels do you have? He's what lubricates <laughs> this show. That's right. <laughs> Man, I, I lived I lived in Oregon. Half of my half of my wardrobe is flannel. Well, and money is liquidity, I guess. So uh <laughs> bling, you know, bling. I did uh put some liquidity into the into the recording, so yeah. it's all good. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's good to be back. Uh, as you all know, I went out to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which is about about three and a half hours away from uh, Nebraska, where I'm at. So, and what took um, you up there? 
Well, uh, the Summit League basketball tournament, conference basketball tournament for NCAA Division One, and my alma mater, the Omaha Mavericks, were in the basketball tournament, and they made it all the way to the final, and it was kind of a heartbreaker, but they played well, and it came down to a final shot. So um, they didn't make it this year, but we always say we'll be back. So it was I, a good time. I hear they did better than Creighton. Oh, Really? Well, I mean... In terms of... The uh, they made it to the conference final or whatever, right? Well, but Creighton is actually in the tournament, so... Boo! The, Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, happy March Madness, everyone out there. By the time you hear this, uh, the tournament will be in full swing, and most of your brackets will be reduced to rubble. But anyhow, so um, you play in the conference tournament before the March Madness national tournament. Mm. And for mid-major conferences the smaller non-power five conferences you have to essentially win your conference championship to get into this tournament but the big the power five conferences which are the ones that have the football bowl eligibility like the big 10 the big 12 those kind of things um they can get multiple bids into the tournament so you can win your conference tournament and get in but you don't necessarily have to if you have a good enough schedule. 64 hmm. teams, or 68 teams get into this tournament, so they've got to find a way to get everyone in. It but, is crazy. I mean, yeah. it, it kind of blows my mind, as someone who doesn't really follow, but kind of watches it from the sidelines, like how you can be a fan mm-hmm. of a sport where there's so many teams, and the players, it's just like, there's so many players, you can't even be like, who are these people? Like, how can you even know? It's crazy. Well, you, you really just follow, you know, you, you have your team and you really just follow them. And if you follow them close enough, everyone else that's within their peripheral becomes important. And then you've got the uh, the national sphere guys or something. <laughs> so, but yeah, there's literally like 300 teams or whatever in Division One basketball. So, wow. um, but for UNO, they would have to win the conference championship. And they made it to the final, but they didn't win it. So, you know, it was interesting. It was a great run. And uh, it didn't feel like a neutral court because two of the teams are from South Dakota. <laughs> so they were able to take their whole fan base and bring them to the to the tournament. Right. So, so it's almost like playing at home. Exactly. <laughs> when yeah. it's supposed to be like a neutral site. Yeah. That picture I put up on Facebook, there was over 9,000 people at that game. <clears throat> And less than 400 of them were Omaha fans. I was going to say, that's like the whole population of South Dakota. They packed it in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. All the ones that, you know, watch their legislature vote against gay people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, know? you know, South Dakota is no cape. There's like scenic beauty up there. But this time up there, I don't know. I guess I was just aware of a lot of things. So, you know, the first thing that blew my mind was seeing a casino within the same city block as a public high school. I could not believe that at first. Yeah. So I asked a South Dakota State fan about that, and they said, well, it's probably not the type of casino you're thinking about. You know, it's not like a card casino or roulette tables and stuff. Uh, Up here, it's video poker. Yeah, it's just one of those crappy side-of-the-road ones with slot machines and video poker. Like, literally, a gas station can be a casino up there. Right. So the same way that you see all of those medical marijuana signs in Denver, think of that, but uh, casino, and that's Sioux Falls. So, (laughs) you know, uh, 
But I was still thinking, oh, well, it's just video game casino, which would seem more enticing to a student, you know, to a high school teenager. Like, oh, this is video games. Cool. I'm going to go in here and win some money with my fake ID, you know, <laughs> or something. So, you know, as a as a quick aside, I heard a story recently about how casinos are experimenting with incorporating video games into casinos because young people aren't interested in gambling the way right. like the boomers and older people are. Uh and so they they've done things, you know, like a like a Resident Evil or like Area 51 mm-hmm. type shooter where if you go, you know, you put in your quarters and you go in and if you can kill a certain number of monsters, then there's a payout, but it's all chance based. So there's no actual skill component to it. It feels like there's a skill component, but there really isn't because you'll just get to like one zombie that can't be killed. And Mm -hmm. that is the worst thing you could do for gamers because gamers believe that you know, that's that's one place where there's like a work ethic in that general crowd. <laughs> you know, the, right. the, if I just if I just plug away at this for enough hours, I'm going to get good enough that I'm going to be be able to headshot everything and just breeze through this level. And then you get to a guy that literally can't be killed because that's how the game is set up. That's the best way to turn somebody away from yeah. gambling. There must be some sort of crazy laws or something prohibiting like payouts for for games of skill or whatever, but. Man, if the casino just converted into like, hey, whoever's the best at video games gets the most money, it would be way more popular with young people, for well, yeah, sure. Yeah, but that's that's right. just an esports tournament then. That's not a casino. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's lower stakes. Lower yeah. stakes. All right. Well, that's well, all right. But... And Chuck, you were you and I were on the phone uh while you were waiting for the game to start. Um mm-hmm. and you were talking about you were parked Kind of semi-illegally, which was funny enough, but um, you, no, the I was reaction, legal. You you were legal, but it, weren't you parking in a like a double yellow line, uh, no, like striped area parked, or something? No, I was parked right next to a parking space on my right, and then double yellow lines on what would be a space on my left. Oh, okay. And then there was another double yellow lines that extended out behind my car. So in essence, blocking some, but prohibiting someone from parking right next to or or right behind me. Right. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. (laughs) While I was sitting in there talking to Matt on my phone, (laughs) looking like an anonymous black guy up to no good. They're like, I don't care. I got to see the Jackrabbits play. You know, so. (laughs) Well, and you also said that you're, you're getting these looks from people going in, uh, you know, you're you're the only black person they've ever seen in their entire lives, and they're walking into the game going like, "Why is the one black guy like not in there warming up with the yeah, rest of the team?" Yeah, why isn't he suiting up, man? <laughs> why isn't he in the locker room? You are pretty Islam, tall too. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and the other thing, I guess, uh, social commentary, all the jobs that you see, minority or low skilled jobs like at arenas you see you know selling hot dogs and stuff you know yeah those jobs are occupied like 85 percent by native americans up there Mm -hmm. and that was uh that was kind of like okay this is a little bit different but it's 
you guys are the black people up here. So yeah, you're you're the you're also the Latinos up here. You know, yeah, that the, that was the cynical view that I had. But yeah, yeah. the system <laughs> you know? the system works exactly the same way all across America. It's just whatever that underclass is might change. Exactly. So you know, they donned the underclass jersey up there, but. Um, but because of that, you know, there was a black guy that, you know, I saw at a couple of the games and he was like, hey, man, we're pulling for you. We're pulling for you. I'm like, OK, <laughs> we've, got, we've got the weight of nations on our shoulders here, you know. But yeah. Now, was that all good. he was he was pulling for you? Did he think that you must be black because you were from Omaha? No. Well, I mean, up there, everybody's wearing the school that you're repping. You know? <laughs> oh, so, OK. So right. I had my <laughs> Omaha hat on and stuff. Um there were very few Omaha fans, so you kind of stuck out. And but almost all the black fans were from Omaha. Maybe like point zero one percent of any other team had you know that many fans. So, anyways, uh, there was that. But then also they were selling this thing called like taco in a bag at the oh, concession yeah, yeah. stand, and I'm like. I literally saw them teach me how to make this on one of those MSNBC lockups. I'm like, this is prison food. <laughs> and they're like marketing this as prison it's, food. It's sanitary. You know? Wait, it's what, sanitary. Is a, what is a taco in a bag? Because when like I go and buy a, tacos, they usually come in a bag, but they're also well, tacos. It's like a bag of Fritos or whatever, and they put meat or nachos in a bag or something. I don't know what the right. hell. It's but like it's you like, took, yeah, it's like you took a hard shell taco and like crunched it up with your fist and then yeah. put it in a bag and you eat it with a fork. It's it's literally like, it's literally like what prisoners do, where they buy stuff from the commissary and mix it together in the bag <laughs> of Fritos. In a bag of Fritos. And, that actually makes know. more sense because otherwise you've got somebody who's sitting there with the taco or like the taco makings, including a tortilla. And they're like, if only we had something convenient to wrap up all these ingredients. But well, yeah. no, we're just gonna we're just gonna shred it all and throw it into a into a like a Walmart takeout bag. <laughs> into a bag and give it to you. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. Wait, what they, kind they of bag the... is it? Because I'm totally picturing like the it's small like a size... Fritos bag. Yeah, no, it's oh, like a bag okay. of chips. Yeah. It's not like a I was picturing a plastic bag that you would, you know, yeah. get your cigarettes and beer in from a convenience yeah. store or something. Yeah, it was someday mm-hmm. one day somebody was eating a taco and they're like, "This isn't even generating any trash for a landfill. Like, what <laughs> right. are we doing wrong here? There's got to be a way. There's got to be a way to piss somebody off and create jobs, you know. So, yeah, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, you know, someone recently had commented on Facebook about South Dakota because recently they passed. That legislation where nonprofits can discriminate against um, LGBT people for adoption or for services based on the religious beliefs of that nonprofit. And, you know, this person was like, well, I'm never going back to my home state. And I mean, this person, I know this person, they're a good person in real life and everything. But I was just thinking... I think your expectations of South Dakota are a little too high, you know? <laughs> I mean, they're like, because they were saying stuff like bigotry is bad for business. And I was like, okay, wait a second. I mean, you know, Mount Rushmore is kind of like bigotry. I mean, it's great, but it's like, you know, on native land. Yeah, carved uh, that into was the taken. side of a sacred native mountain. 
Yeah, and it's, you know, slave, well, not all of them are slave owners, you know, on, right. on there, but it's just like, you know, signs of imperialism, conquest over people, everything like that. And, you know, and now this was the second time I've been to Sioux Falls, and this was the first time that someone didn't yell the N word out of a truck at me. I told him that. So, you know, it's just kind of like, and of course, this time I'm around basketball fans. The whole time I'm there, it's around basketball. So no one's really kind of in that mode. No one's really being political or anything like that. But I was like, and there are a lot of good people in Sioux Falls. I had a good time there. But at the same time, people that are of color or Native Americans have known that, you know, this isn't that wonderful of a place i mean not i shouldn't say it like that but that people at least have the capacity to be mean or evil-spirited people there know that and you know white lgbt people just seem to be waking up to that like whoa people here are haters (laughs) right well and the thing yeah the thing that i was saying is that it's it's like before that this person was like south dakota like yeah that's the most progressive accepting you know community in america but then they passed this lgbt ordinance what it just totally flips my perception of what south dakota was it's like no if you were paying attention like yeah this is just another you know another leaf on the pile i don't buy it i don't buy the narrative i i think probably what happened was people got kind of comfy under obama which was, you know, largely an LGBT-friendly administration. So they saw some moderate gains made, and now it looks like it's backsliding, you know? Um, mm-hmm. That was all coming down from a federal level because the Department of Justice was enforcing these, uh, you know, executive orders and also, you know, prosecuting um, under uh, Obergefell, the, the Supreme Court case that legalized gay marriage, um, mm-hmm. And now we don't have that anymore. So now state legislatures are feeling right. empowered to, you know, these are people who anybody who was uh, who was a high school student during the George W. Bush administration probably was not having the same surprised reaction as people who were going through high school under Obama. Sure. And but the thing is, this dude that I'm talking to is older than me, so he remembers that time, and that time is exactly why he left there. But now, all of a sudden, with this thing, he's like, "I'm never going to shop there again, and I'm probably never going to go back right. to this place." And it's like, it took this moment for you to take a stand against it. I mean, first of all, staying away from it isn't going to make the situation there better. Sure, but, you know. But, I mean, we've talked about that before, but on top of it, it's just kind of like other people knew this about this place before, and, you know, now what we should be doing is saying, okay, now we empathize with what it's like to be Native American up there, what it's like to be a person of color, and let's start building this coalition and really fixing what's effed up, you know? Well, and it's funny that you were there at an NCAA tournament because the NCAA... Has, exactly. you know, pulled out of North Carolina, exactly. you know, saying we're not going to hold tournaments there anymore if you're going to pass these type of laws. And they're threatening the same thing in Texas right now. And so it would seem like a logical progression that they would do the same thing with the Summit League Conference Tournament in Sioux Falls if this thing solidifies and takes shape, you know. So I could see it, which, 
honestly, I'm okay with that because I think the tournament should be in Des Moines, Iowa anyways. Oh, that'd be cool. But, uh, you know, somewhere where none of the teams are from that area or <laughs> right. something. And, but it's I don't not know. that far away. I don't know. Yeah. Given, uh, given Representative Steve King's recent Ooh. tweet, Ooh, uh, Iowa, Iowa may not be their number one destination. Natural segues today. That's something that we should talk about because <laughs> you guys should have seen my tweet about it today. I'm telling you. The great places of South Dakota where they live in life the way it ought to be. From the pride of the plains to our black hills, the spirit of freedom lives here still. First of all, Steve King, my thing with him is that he literally majored in draft dodging. Like the whole reason he went to college was to dodge the draft because he dropped out his senior year. Like he had like one semester left or something after getting two or three deferments to get out of the Vietnam War. And so I'm thinking somebody else's babies are fighting for your freedom. And now you're saying we can't rebuild the Western Empire because with somebody else's babies. It was just right. ridiculous. And right. then, you know. you know, when called on him being like, are you sure you want to say that? And he's like, absolutely. absolutely. I'm going to double down. Dude, yeah. Right. Which I guess the, the, the implication, he was replying to some, like, political cartoon from Europe that was like, oh, the white people have to hold back the... The hordes of ISIS or whatever. Oh, yeah, by plugging their finger in a dam right. that was like Western civilization. Right, you know. and so to which he says, <laughs> you know, you know political cartoons. They're so subtle. Yeah, it's so, um, what was it, Charlie Hebdo, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Right. With that kind of Charlie Hebdo subtlety, right? <laughs> so the, the Ben Garrison, like everything is labeled with big block letters, so that you you know make <laughs> right. sure that you don't miss the the analogy. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, he's just like standing on a chair that says like free trade on it or something, <laughs> <laughs> and it's an electric chair. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, so it's Steve, electric. so Steve King says this weird tweet where he's like. He's like, yeah, we can't rebuild civiliz- our civilization or protect our civilization with other people's babies, which right. is like, I guess the implication is that white people need to have more babies to counteract all the all the immigrant babies. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't I can't even understand what he's saying. And it just seems just so un-american and just so hateful and wrong it's just mind-blowing to me what he's saying is i would never let the situation and get out even come down to my daughter even talking to a black right a black guy would not have been able to come in the front door <laughs> right of this house of the king household right you know right but then if you go like you know that kind of sounds like you're maybe being a little bit racist there they're like whoa like you said it not me like yeah. you're crazy you've what got it you... on the mind yeah yeah so so <laughs> much so for the tolerant to left on... always yeah, exactly. always wanting to label people 
And it's like, okay, what is the what is the line there where you're like, you know what our, the problem with America is? Not enough white babies. And then you're like, whoa, what's up with that? And you're like, hey, don't jump down my throat. Right. It's like, you're the one who brought just, race into it. Right. Yeah. What? I just can't even understand. Or, oh, you know, Islam's not a race. <laughs> well, that's that's why that's why uh, Western civilization is the code word for it because they're like, that's that ain't Islam. So, <laughs> never mind the fact that Muslims have lived in Western civilization for a long time and all over the world. But whatever. and a lot of Western civilization is based on Muslim contributions, Arabic numbers. Right. How about that? You know. <laughs> You you couldn't get Herman Cain's sweet nine 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 deal, yeah, without those numbers. Well, so. you know there was that that little chickapoo on Twitter who posted the video. She was visiting Bethlehem, um, and mm-hmm. posted a video. She's on, you know, Facebook Live or something, and there's a, a Muslim prayer going on in the background. She's like at the birthplace of Jesus, like shaking hashtag shaking my head <laughs> or something, and. It's like you know that there were Muslims there when he was there, which he wasn't because that place is a tourist trap anyway. It was some guy in like right. the right. year four hundred saying like, "Yeah, this this is the place. This is the right. place where Jesus was yeah. born." You're like Jesus used to hang out at this Burger King at the Hyatt all the time. <laughs> right. You yeah. guys, exactly. I, you Give know, myself. She, I'm gonna get selfie here. She'd be fine with it being like. A Walmart behind her in Bethlehem, I'm sure, not to be shaking her damn head. Or right, McDonald's well, because Jesus was a white know. American, you know. <laughs> you know, a supply-side economist, white American, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who was committed to the idea of the trickle-down theory, which is why he flipped those tables. Yeah, absolutely, you know? because, you know, those guys have gotten rich, and you flip the tables over, and all of that gold and stuff is going to go, like, flying across the floor and probably, like, roll down the temple steps to he was the, just making like, the lepers and the poor Jones. people who are laying at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. It I was mean, literal trickle-down economics. Right. If there's one thing I know about Jesus is that he would have been just a huge Trump supporter. I oh, mean, dude. if you if you read the Bible at all, I mean, that's just clear. Mm-hmm. I mean, that he was just all they were just all about it. The same things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's amazing to see people on Twitter, these conservative Christians who are big Trump supporters and they jump into every, you know, every time George Takei tweets something and he's kind of, you know, he's he's a 70 year old man who's basically a like a Fox News grandpa, except for the left. Um, right. Which is fine. Like, I have no problem with any of the things that George K says so much as he's not like a political voice. He's just a right. guy with a big Twitter following following saying what he believes, you know, and these people pop in and say, you know, if only George K found Jesus, um, <laughs> you know, or if, if only if only George K would read the Bible, he would see how wrong all of this is. And it's like, have you read the Bible? Um, right. Because. You know, the Christ of the book of Acts uh, would have been derided by this same crowd as being a, you know, anti-capitalist, you know, long-haired socialist hippie. Right. Right. Well, you know, Don 316 said, you know, for Donnie so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, 
but might actually perish because his life-saving health care will be taken away. Yeah, you wait, know? <laughs> what, what, son, what son are you even talking about? Like Don yeah. Jr.? The, yeah. Oh, no. yeah, man. He's well, the true. I, I don't know which son. They're, they're all the begotten. the coming you know? of Trump. <laughs> no, I was trying to segue <laughs> into that article about rewarding uh, – you know, him with the vote and then having your health care taken away right. in the counties, you know. Right. Why speaking, don't you take it away, Brendan? Speaking of, <laughs> of Christ-like acts, yeah. uh, of, of Christian charity. Punishing your supporters. Right, and kindness. <laughs> Let's talk about the new, recently unveiled GOP health care bill. Doctor, doctor, can't you see I'm burning, burning? Speaking of Christian charity and kindness, let's talk about the GOP and their new health care bill, which the Congressional Budget Office announced today looks like it would drop like 24 million people from having health insurance coverage entirely. And mm-hmm. more than that, once the uh, the Medicaid expansion expires in, what, 2020? But hey, it's a little yeah. bit cheaper, so boop, win. Hey, they'll still have access to health care. They'll just need to like earn some more money. You know, and this is this is the most disgusting part about all this is you know, Paul Ryan is on TV the other night. Somebody asks him how many people are gonna lose insurance uh under under Trump care, whatever they've decided decided to call it. I think Trump care, I think it's a good albatross to hang around his neck. Um I mean, it's not. I don't want to give him credit for even doing this, though, because he had absolutely nothing to do with this at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm okay with that though, because people are going to remember who actually was involved with it. Well, it's, you know, I I think it's more accurate and more if more effective to just call it like Republicare or something. Oh Ryan yeah. Care. I don't oh, know. Okay. Sure. I mean, I I feel like the. Call it carelessness, right? Yeah, <laughs> Trump no carelessness. Care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel I feel like this is so unpopular, and it's going to die such a quick death in this in the Congress here because everyone hates it. That just tying it to Trump is not going to matter, really. No, that's <laughs> that's fine. Right. That's a great argument, and I actually really like Republicare because theoretically Trump is a Republican, a Republican president. So yeah, ostensibly, uh, <laughs> so they say. So the. The, they did this budget analysis and stuff, and they found that uh, it's not great for a lot of Trump supporters. Um, so this is a story from the Washington Post about Grant County, Nebraska. Nebraska, go scurs. So the president won 93% of the vote in the county, but it also provided over a quarter of its residents with health insurance through through the Obamacare exchanges. And they could be seeing a per-person average increase of annual costs jump by, you know, $3,600. Jeez. I've seen uglier numbers than that. Um, that, you know, they could, they could identify people uh, over the age of, I think it was 64, whose... Premiums under Obamacare would have been something like eighteen hundred dollars a year, 
jumped to something like $11,000 a year. So it's about a 750% increase. Uh, and the person that they were using for their their example was on a fixed income of something like $24,000 a year. So basically, your healthcare is going from something like 8% of your budget to almost 50% of your budget. Ugh. Well, we re- we talked about an article earlier that you know, kind of hinted at, you know, these counties that went for Trump that, you know, relied heavily on Obamacare. And their argument was, hey, we're we're all just doing it because it's the law and we're forced to do it. We don't like it, but we're just following the law. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> now it's going to get taken away or they're going to, you know, what, what's going to be their excuse now? I mean, they're always going to have an excuse is the weird thing. So what it goes up, stays the same. Well, it's not going to happen because there's just absolutely no way that this bill is ever going to become reality because everybody hates it on both sides of the political spectrum, it seems. The Republicans hate it or the hardcore Republicans hate it because it doesn't go far enough. And there's no Democrat that's going to get on board with repealing Obamacare to replace it with this plan, which is not even a workable plan in the first place. And it's amazing watching them do their their kind of preemptive issue crafting where the Human Health and Services Secretary uh, Tom Price was sort of preemptively slamming the head of the CBO, um, (laughs) Keith Hall, before the score even came out was slamming the CBO for being this this partisan organization when he was the one as the head of the committee who appointed Keith Hall to the head of the CBO and is on video a hundred times praising him for being such a, you know, the, the Republicans in Congress put Keith Hall into the head of the CBO office so that he would be the the more sympathetic to Republican economics guy. And now they're out there preemptively slamming him because they knew, they knew before the score came out that the CBO was going to release numbers that were going to anger a lot of people, including a ton of Republican voters. Right. And, you know, it's it's sad that our system has come to this, but this sentence I'm going to say, congrats on him for actually putting out factual numbers, you know, no matter how much they, you know, tried to tweak it and make it look as good as it could, huh. it's not – I mean at least they had the integrity to put out an analysis that was negative, you know, in, in some mm-hmm. – at least in some parts of it. Right. Whereas I feel like if Trump was in charge of this, he'd be like, oh, they said it was going to uh, – everyone would get a trillion dollars. Yeah, uh, it's, it's tremendous. The best, it's the best healthcare care yeah. plan ever. Everyone gets a trillion dollars. It's the best. Well, and to go back to Paul Ryan – you know, Paul Ryan makes this appearance where they say, how many people are going to lose insurance? And he says, see, right off the bat, you're, you're mis, you know, you're, you're framing this conversation. Of course, people are going to lose insurance because there's not a government mandate anymore. What we're talking about is freedom. You know, we're going to give people access to, you know, better lower price healthcare, which cannot be justified when you look at this plan. There's nothing yeah. that incentivizes more affordable care nothing that incentivizes more comprehensive care but paul ryan's line is but we're giving people their freedom back you're going to have the freedom to pick the plan that works for you which apparently for 24 million americans is no plan because they can't afford 
even the you know it, you, you have can, the freedom to not afford a plan <laughs> right absolutely yep. or or just you know or even just be like you know what i don't feel like it and i don't yeah. want yeah. a plan and that's what they i think they're trying to appeal to which is like are they really like making their appeal to like you hate health insurance we're the party for you like it's the it's the worst, isn't it? Don't you hate it when you have to yeah. go to the hospital and then, like, you're like, wow, I'm glad I have health insurance. That's the worst. Right. <laughs> you know, who are they appealing to with this? I have access to a Gulfstream. You know, I could go to whatever dealership there is for Gulfstream private jets. Uh, right. I just need to show up with a check for, you know, a million and a half dollars or something. Right. Access for all. Yeah. It's pretty sick, but... You know, it, I feel like this was just the awakening for Paul Ryan in terms of his comprehension of what insurance is when he comes out and has, like, the pie chart or something. Right. And he's like, all of these people over here aren't sick, but they're paying for all of these people that are. It's like, okay, yeah, that's not profound. Okay, you know? that's it. That's how that's insurance, insurance works. Right. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Right. I mean, basically, yeah, they're they're literally coming out and saying, like, we're the party that's against insurance. We hate mm-hmm. insurance. We think no one should have insurance or at least have the freedom not to. And it's like, that's just not that's not a workable system. Right. right. Those people are still going to get sick. They're still going to go to the hospital. If you refuse to buy insurance and you break your leg, you're going to go to the emergency room and the doctor's going to help you. Yeah. And that's not going to stop and it's going to get paid for one way or the other the better option is to have people pay for it when before they need it so right. that it's like insurance you know how insurance works it's that right it's not a hard concept to get around um there was a a hilarious uh tweet oh actually i don't know if i want to frame it this way because it's a stupid ben shapiro tweet or whatever but <laughs> there was uh this republican online who said isn't it convenient that, you know, they want to frame the the healthcare, the left wants to frame this healthcare bill as like, oh, people are going to die, people are going to die, when you can literally say that about any system that's not, you know, total single-payer government insurance. It's like, yes. Yes. It's like, yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. He the, gets the, he gets so close. But Ben Shapiro is the guy who also likened healthcare to buying, right. you know, luxury furniture. Right. I mean, you know? it just right. – it's just not – it's not a coherent ideology. The ideology of the Republicans and, and Trump are we should spend unlimited money on the military to protect American lives. We must protect American lives at all costs. Unless you get, like, cancer or diabetes, though, then it's like, well, screw yeah. you. Like, what? Like, you should have got a job or something. Like, come on. What do you think this is – This all this is free? Is health care? Like – no, the only thing that's free is like uh, tanks and jets. Like those are free for everybody, but not being able to go to a doctor. It's like if you yeah. care about saving American lives, it's a no-brainer. Right. Right. All right. So this is gonna sound like a digression, but I'll, I'll bring it back around. Um, Texas Congresswoman Jessica Ferrer uh, just mm-hmm. introduced a bill to uh, prohibit masturbation in Texas. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> right. Um, making a, a satirical point about um, why Texas shouldn't be slashing 
uh, prenatal care and Planned Parenthood, abortion access, uh, all sorts of things. Um, it's a satirical bill. And so in the same vein, I feel like somebody needs to put up a satirical bill to get rid of car insurance, the car insurance mandate, except oh, yeah. I'm not convinced that there wouldn't be a ton of people who would come out of the woodwork going, yeah, that makes sense. Why is the state requiring me to buy car <laughs> insurance? You know, that's just more, that's just more jackbooted thuggery. That's right. You know, taxes well, are literal theft and we shouldn't. You know, I shouldn't have to insure myself against a car accident. But weren't we making that argument in 2009 when people were groaning about Obamacare and were like, look, you have to have car insurance. It didn't sink in then. Right. Well, because, you know, it's your choice to drive a car. You could just not drive a car. Well, okay. Now, the the, I think the things just like it's your choice not to get sick. I think the things are. Yeah. I think you tried not getting sick. I think the things are materially, materially different. Just in the sense that if you're driving a car, it's possible that you'll injure somebody else or cause damage to their property, whereas you getting sick probably isn't going to do that. Right. Um, Sick people never get other people sick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right. But it's not like health insurance stops contagion. Right. Well, preventative care is a thing. And that's the thing where people people say this. People say, well, I don't want to have free health care because then you know illegal immigrants are just going to come in and steal all the health care where it's like you know what if there's illegal immigrants here and they have like zika like i want them to get health care like i don't want them to come cough in my face at the gas station i want them to be able to be like i think i'm real sick and i need some help (laughs) and get that solved (laughs) so they're not spreading zika everywhere all right well you can't get zika from coughing on somebody for one thing (laughs) right wait till it mutates but you know how it works well take it you know that yeah we would want them to be able to get help or feel that they can get help without getting penalized. Absolutely. Well, I think a, I think a more salient example would be, you know, uh, China's dealing with a new outbreak of avian flu. They've killed millions of chickens in the past couple of weeks because of a new strain of avian flu. Uh, people from China can travel here pretty... It's not hard to get a visa from China to America. Right. You know, so if somebody starts having symptoms as a foreign national, you know, a tourist in... San Francisco or something like right. that. I want them to go to go to the doctor. I want them, you know, there needs to be a system in place to get them to affordable healthcare instead of them hanging out in the hotel for two days right. and infecting everybody who right. they come in contact with. Or just being like, man, I heard that the American healthcare system is a mess. Like, let's just not be, deal with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't even want to try. Sure. Um, that that's not a good situation. Right. Either. But the idea that people would be coming here just to be a drain on it just seems ludicrous you know and it seems like people that really want good stuff end up leaving anyways like peyton manning went and had his neck procedure in europe and stuff so you know there's a free space here for somebody to come up and take his space for neck <laughs> surgery for neck surgery <laughs> no um but yeah the argument you know someone that i was talking to about it you know this weekend was saying, well, I just don't want the government getting involved in the healthcare industry. And I'm just thinking, well, the only thing is, I trust that the government would make a decision not based on 
finance over my health than an actual corporation. That's right. The government doesn't have shareholders. It doesn't have CEO salaries to pay. Right. I mean, people are going to make the argument, well, the government, they're out to make a buck or whatever, and I don't know if it's a good argument or not. That's a different argument for a different day. But just It's a terrible idea. argument. I mean, right. the, the, somebody who would say that is the same person who would complain about the national debt. Right. You know? Yeah. You can't you can't do both things at the same time. You can't say the government's just out to profit itself and complain well, about right. running a national debt or a trade deficit. Sure. Politicians are out for money. You know, that argument could be made. I think yeah. that argue. I mean, not all politicians, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying the type of person that believes this is a tea partier that's in, you know, discussion group that I'm in. But they believe that people are trying to profit off middlemen and everything else. So, well, they are. And well, you know and what? That, that yeah. system would be better if it was government-run health care. Because yeah, that's you wouldn't totally have right. to have that. Well, incentive. 100%. Yeah. You have so. middlemen. They're insurance company CEOs and right, right. the shareholders of uh, insurance. Right. And, well, and they pay... You know, they use lobbyists in the system. Well, you know what? And And Republicans are going to find out real quick that when you propose a health care plan that mandates that insurance companies cover pre-existing conditions, mandates no lifetime limits on coverage, you know, mandates that people have to stay on their parents' insurance until they're 26. But but takes away the mandate. Right. But then says, oh, but then also you don't have to buy insurance and there's no penalty for not buying insurance. You can't fund that system. Right. Yeah. Insurance companies don't like that plan. And Republicans are going to find that out very quick here. Yeah, sure. Well, the uh, you know the healthcare insurance profession is or industry is one of the biggest congressional uh, campaign financiers. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you already see there are certain Republican congressmen um, coming out and saying, you know, I just can't support this plan as written, which is a start. And it's nice to think. That the town hall protests, that the, you know, the angry tweets from George Takei are the things that are swaying their opinion. But you know that a big portion of that pressure has got to be coming from the insurance lobby. Well, I think there's one thing we can all agree on is that nobody knew how complicated this whole healthcare thing could be. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No. What I, a surprise. I, I heard it from the president himself. So, you know, I believe it. Get out. Let's do some get out here. All right, I'm out. I'm out. Get you get out. I know. You Matt get was out. like Matt in, your, in the last episode. You were like, let's just do a little preview or whatever. So the very end of the movie. Right. <laughs> uh, I wanted I to talk. I I had just seen it and I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about it for real. That's fair. Absolutely. That's just fair. a little preview of the conversation because Chuck and I had, um, you know, Glessman and I were able to talk about some of the filmmaking, some of the. Uh, like the tropes that Jordan Peele played around with, um, that's different from the substance of the film. And I like the uh, comparisons with what was an invasion of the body snatchers. Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead, yeah. So, Have you ever seen that? 
You should watch it. No, but <laughs> it's amazing that it was it was made in in the time that it was. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Um. No, I I mean I've just been listening. Everybody kind of has been talking about it on social media and um, podcasts, Citizen Radio. They were talking about it, and it was just kind of an interesting play on race. I think GQ had made an article about why it's, you know, a brilliant commentary on slavery, like modern day commentary on slavery. Well, I think um, it's, I think it's a, it's a commentary on white and black race relations um, altogether as a package. I mean, yeah, you've got, you've got elements of slavery in there, but you also have um, Jim Crow, uh, you know, like more, explicit discrimination you also have the sort of like the soft bigotry of uh low expectations um Mm -hmm. and and some of the some of the like more background like implicit bias types of of racism that are more indicative of american culture right now um in addition to that uh that kind of white apologia white guilt white fetishization of of black people all going on at the same time yes and you know the it's like that white fed the white guilt goes to the spectrum of you know going from being guilty to the idea of wanting to control things with a black body you know and just removing the black consciousness from the body because the body is the only part that we really want yeah. It's kind of creepy. And, you know, I mean. <laughs> it's incredibly it, creepy. <laughs> it's hella creepy, you know. Um, but sounds more civilized than the clan. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it seemed cleaner. You know, the neighborhood was very nice. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. And there yeah. were black people there to the extent that these people believed that black people were people, which was, you know, as vehicles for uh, white consciousness and culture yeah absolutely literally in the movie as a vehicle for a white consciousness well and i'd seen another article about how or they were talking about the significance of the asian guy asking the main character if he thought that his experience as a black man was favorable or unfavorable in terms of you know, being in Asia where you kind of, or being an Asian American, you're kind of stuck between because you're not on necessarily the same identical pedestal as, you know, the white man in the hierarchy, but you're maybe not in the same situation as the black man. Yeah, either, you're not, you know? you're not placed as low on that hierarchy, on that table right. pole as, as, as black people. Sure. But you're not idolized like the black body in the same way. And, you know, so it's like, oh, do you right. want, you know, do you want that black body and the uh, discrimination and hatred that comes with that? Or would you prefer, or is your situation preferable to that in that social structure, that social hierarchy? So that was a pretty interesting take on that. I don't know if that was necessarily what Jordan Peele was going for, but it totally makes sense there. It seemed like everything in that movie was pretty calculated. So yeah, you know, totally. And and um, and Nick and I talked about that on the last episode too. That I don't think Jordan Peele did anything unintentionally in that whole right. movie. You know, um, to to the point where he was he was billboarding 
everything. It wasn't lampshade hanging. He was actually, you know, he was doing the, it, it's almost like a Ben Garrison cartoon as a movie because, you know, it Jordan Peele on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR uh, a couple of weeks ago. And they were asking him, you know, because his mother's white and mm. his wife is white. And they were saying, did this make the, you know, did your did your wife or your mom say anything after seeing the movie that was like, oh, my God, I've totally said that kind of thing to a black guy before. And he just laughed and he was like, yeah, absolutely. Both of them, both of them <laughs> fully admitted that, yes, I've done that thing before, uh, which, you know, I think that's why there's been this pushback on Twitter and some of the more regressive places on uh, Reddit about how racist this movie is. You know? This movie cannot be considered racist at all. Okay, against I white mean, people, against... Chuck. See, it's incredibly racially aware, but it's not racist right. just because it makes you feel uncomfortable about how you may have talked to a black person one time. Feeling uncomfortable about your race is the worst ever. Right, and white people should never have to experience it. Well, yeah. you know, white people feel uncomfortable about their race uh, That's like because saying... because they see a movie that you know, makes them into the villain and black people feel uncomfortable about their race because sometimes they get shot by the police uh, with very little justification. The important part of that is that both feel uncomfortable about their races sometimes. So it's a perfect analogy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as perfect as saying a birth of a nation is anti-white or racist towards (laughs) white people, you know, it's like, come on, you know, it's not anti-white to first of all any other horror movie you wouldn't say man i don't know gremlins is so anti-mogwai you know or, <laughs> I, I, or you know white right. I, I don't know well and it is funny too because in a in a horror movie that is explicitly about race of course it's a topic but like any other horror movie where they're like white people getting killed all the time it's right. never like, oh man, this movie is so racist against white people. Look, it just revels in murdering white people. You know? Right? Yeah. I mean, Clearly, it's a race thing. Yeah, and also ignoring at the same time that in most horror movies, if there's a black character, they're the person who dies at least second, if not first. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I just, yeah, the argument. It's hard. It's hard for me to see it. You know, for all the movies that white people are the hero in and. I mean, this movie isn't saying the moral of the story is white people are bad. You know, um, I'm just not getting it. So yeah, no, it's it's taking some of the the culture of uh, like kind of woke white people and spinning yep. it out to an unnatural but also believable conclusion, like where that mentality could lead you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not that's not racism. That's just commentary on race. You may as well say that Key and Peel, the sketch comedy show, is racist because it handles racial issues a lot, mm-hmm. which I'm sure has happened. Right. Well, that's the thing. White people can make things that aren't about race all the time. Every, right. Almost everything a white person makes is like doesn't have anything to do with yeah. race. Everything that a black person makes is about race, whether they want it to be about race or not. Yeah, yep. exactly. You know. I mean, if you're the first black person to be good at something, you're like the first African-American man to be good at this thing. You know, it's like, come on. 
But it's, yeah, it's like saying Blazing Saddles is anti-white or something. I don't know. You know, it's just, <laughs> it just blows my mind. Just watch the... Well, I don't know. Mel Brooks is Jewish, so he might actually be Ooh. against white people. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, man. At least according to Baked Alaska, I guess. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. No, it was definitely a great or movie. Representative wanna... Steve King of Iowa. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i think i'm gonna go see it again or something here pretty soon everyone in the theater i went to see it in the theater where it was all white people in the theater i didn't get the sense that people were angry or pissed off when they left or anything like that um one thing i think that everyone was relieved spoiler alerts to uh people that still haven't seen the movie but i think everyone oh yeah we'll was, do a we'll do a spoiler alert uh yeah <laughs> that ship has sailed, gentlemen. Uh, oh no, no, we yeah. wait, I'll I'll clip it in. <laughs> right, good deal. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! So yeah, I read an article where Jordan Peele had originally thought about going with a different ending, where instead of the TSA friend showing up, um, the police show up, see him, and either kill him on the spot or you know arrest him and send him to jail. And, mm-hmm. but he felt like after taking the audience through that length of time that tension and everything he kind of felt like he owed it to them to give them something to cheer for at the end of the movie so, sure and I'm, I'm really glad he did because that was a tough enough movie to sit through without also walking out feeling like the main character you know ended up yeah ended up in a bad spot um mm-hmm. on the other hand you know while we're in spoiler territory, he had one of the bodies of one of these, you know, mutilated black people in his car that, you know, right. you just do an autopsy on it and go like, oh, yeah, the brain doesn't actually match the DNA of this body. Maybe this guy is telling the truth. Um, I I don't think that digging into the actual science or, you know, the the like logical interpretation of exactly what they were doing. Um, right bears much fruit it was it was much Mm. more of a you know in a way there's a you know there's an analogy to make about how you know black people joining white society generally end up um you know subsuming their own personality into the the culture that they've joined um you know code switching is a thing you know yeah oh yeah absolutely you know I would see it in my dad, too. You know, living out here in the suburbs in Nebraska was one way, but going to visit his, you know, his family and the people he grew up with in Indianapolis was completely different, you know. So right. you you just learn. It's almost, it's almost like being bilingual or something, you know, just how you interact in those two different societies. So, Which is why um, we've never seen the real Chuck. <laughs> exactly. And you... <laughs> You will see it if you travel up to North Omaha with me, Matt. So why don't we go on a trip here? <laughs> Brendan, come along. Hop in the car. We'll go on a fantastic uh, it's a little, voyage. It's a little late yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> too, too late for uh, a trip to North Ode to see the real Chuck. <laughs> and I think that that's, uh, that'll do for the show here. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, you can follow us at liquid underscore flannel, and uh, you can follow us individually 
before that, uh, definitely rate us on iTunes. But you can follow me at Shaggy2Trope. Brendan, where can they follow you? They can follow me at Brendan Williams with one L. And Matt, where are you at? I am at Matt the Great. And please know that I, I retweet anything that makes me chuckle in the moment. So it may not be perfectly reflective of my views. <laughs> Well, that's good enough. (laughs) So thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week. Time out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just need some breaks. If I'm going to put bumps yep. in, I need breaks. This has been a, oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> a really fun, fluid conversation. Um, and not to like interrupt our flow or anything, but if I'm going to break things up, we need to actually break. We've been doing a great like three-way overlayered thing. You so I'm listening to it breaks. as a producer going like, oh my god, <laughs> this is going to be a fucking nightmare to edit because I have no idea where to, where to like take a break. No, I hear you.